Being a mom is the toughest job there is, and it doesn't come with instructions. So it's okay if you don't have all the answers. We'll figure it out together. This is Mom Brain with Ilaria Baldwin and Daphne Oz. Hey guys, welcome back to Mom Brain. I'm Daphne. And I'm Ilaria. And guys, I'm still out on maternity leave. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for bearing with us. It is so sad for me to miss my girl and all the great conversations that were happening. It's my girl being Hilaria, not this little baby. Me, me. Um, yeah, no, my, me. She's with the small it one. It's the larger one that she's missing. That would be me. Slightly, slightly <laughs> larger. Slightly larger. Slightly larger than my girl. Slightly larger um, than a newborn. Uh, a little more. It, than. Just a little bit. But uh, yeah, but I, I, you know, I hate to miss these conversations, but I'm so happy that uh, we get to keep bringing you guys great mom brain um, material every week. And this week we are chatting with... Take it away. Who are we chatting with? So today we're talking to Janae Graham. Janae is somebody who has taught my children. And I just think that she's so wise and she has done such amazing things with them. She really sees each of my children for who he or she is and then helps them grow and does it in a really kind way. I mean, who's a bigger superhero than a than a preschool teacher? I mean, you think about that. Well, I've got four kids and I'm like, oh my God, when the four kids are around, it's total chaos. Can you imagine having like, you know, 15 of those? And obviously there's more than one teacher, but it's a lot. And there's a lot of different energy. And to find that calm and the peace amidst the toddler storm is absolutely incredible. So she has super cool things to say. I can't wait for you to hear it. No, they're totally, I mean, they're angels. They're, they are just like a wellspring of calm and patience. And and also kids respond to that. I mean, you can see like all, you know, every time I drop my kids off, I'll kind of stick around and spy on them for a little <laughs> bit and, um, and just, you know, see how differently 15 little wild things behave in one room with one teacher or two teachers who just exude this calm presence versus, you know, how two of them or three of them behave when it's just me in my house. But um, And I'm always <laughs> impressed. I'm always so impressed. So I cannot wait to hear what she has to say because I have to say I'm pretty in love with my kids' preschool teachers. This is a Can you introduce yourself? My name is Janae Graham. Um, I have been a preschool teacher for 13 years now. I love working with young children. I work with children between the ages of three and five years old. How did you get into wanting to be a teacher? I have to say, and I know it sounds cheesy, and everyone, when they ask me this question, I take a breath before I answer it, and I say, I'm going to be honest. It was my fourth grade teacher, and I don't know if it's okay to say her name. Her name is Mrs. Reinish, and... Since fourth grade, I said, I want to be a teacher. I want to work with children and make them feel the way that she made me feel. Two of my children have been taught by you. Yes. And they, they, you have the Reggio Emilia approach. Talk yes. to me a little bit about that. Um, I have to say, I knew nothing about the Reggio Emilia approach before I started working at the school that I work at. When I first learning about the Reggio Emilia approach, which is, it's a little town in Italy, um, and it's based on children learning about activities that they want to learn about. And it's very play-based and project-based. And so, for example, just because it's the fall time, we're not going to just study pumpkins and go apple picking because that's what you usually do in school. We sit back, we focus on the children, we focus on what they are interested in, and then we take those tools and apply learning aspects to that. And so, you know, a lot of times you'll, like when we, when the kids start their school year, 
you don't know what you know, what they're going to be focusing on. Right. There's no plan at all. We don't have any set curriculum. Um, the first few weeks is sort of just the teachers. We actually start off in small groups. And so what that looks like, I have a classroom of children. Last year, I had 19 children. And for the first four weeks of school, we start off with half groups. And so we'll have nine or 10 children with three teachers. And so at that time, we have a wonderful opportunity to really just focus on the children as individuals, what they're interested in, what their questions are, what they're wondering about. Um, and then after the first few weeks of school, we come together as a staff, we brainstorm, we talk about these interests and see how we can then bring it back to the children in a way of learning through academics. And I, I would say as as parents, you know, we have our own struggles with with our kids at home and then it seems like we drop them off and they're so much better <laughs> behaved with you than they are with us. Why is this? You know, I don't have a direct answer. I can say from my experience, there have been times where I've been sitting across the table at a parent-teacher conference and I'm just sort of describing the child and how they are in the classroom. And the parents are looking at me and they're like, are you talking about my child? Can we step back a little bit? I, you're not talking about my child. And I think there are a lot of reasons why it's different in the home and in the classroom. Um, the dynamics, of course, between mom and dad versus a school teacher. Um, I think children know regardless of anything, regardless of what I do, mom and dad will always love me. I have to say teachers, we will always love them too as well, but there's a different relationship and understanding that children have there's with their parents. There's a different parents. level of comfort as there's well. There's a different like level of comfort. The lines that they can cross with the parents versus the lines, and also I think in front of their friends versus in front of their siblings. Absolutely. Like Leo is, you know, he's two, so he is definitely going, he's getting better actually, but um, he was very much going through like hitting and biting and kicking and like, everything, everything. And I asked at, you know, at his parent-teacher conference, I was like, is he doing this to other kids? Like my biggest fear right. of like, oh God, he's going to hit somebody else's <laughs> kid. And they're like, no, he's like lovely and would never like hurt a fly in the class. And I'm like, what? Right. It, there's a certain level of responsibility that I think the children feel when they're in the classroom. It's almost like us as adults within our job. School for them is their job. They feel like it's important. It's a different place that they're going to every day. I mean, it's true. They come through the door. They have their backpacks on. And it's real for them. This is business. This is my place. And for a lot of children, whether they're the first, second, third, this is for them, school is a safe place and it's a sense of ownership. I think in the household, you are often, if you have a lot of siblings, right, you're often faced with sharing and taking turns. And it's not as easy for you to have the ownership of your space. Right. And in the, in the classroom, although there are other children in there, they're not your siblings. So that's your space where your grown-up comes and drops you off. And I know it sounds silly, but you have your cubby and we're their teachers. And so there's that certain safe space and that sense of ownership and a feeling of, I want to do good. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to do this for my teacher. I'm going to be behave this way. And then when mom comes, I'm ready to just let it all go. That's when I'm ready to just let it all out. And that's where I see the behavior changing. Even at pickup, sometimes I can say, even at pickup or drop off, um, there are times where I'll say, wow, friend, you're really screaming at mom. And then they'll just kind of look at me with wide eyes and oh, like, oh my God, I did it in front of her. That. She oh, knows. No. Or, she knows. <laughs> right. Or even times I would have a parent say to me, you know, Janae, last night when I called you and told you that such and such didn't have their dinner, I know you were very upset. And I'm looking at the parent like, 
And they're like, I, wink, wink, I, wink, yes. wink. Go and along like, with it, go along with it. I'm like, I really wish you wouldn't use me in that kind of level at home. Um, but it is interesting. I've had a lot of parents or even children say to me, Janae, when you called my mom last night, it really helped me get in the bath. And I, and I just kind of nod my head and I go, Great, glad I could be there okay, for you. Okay, I'm no glad idea. I can help you. And then I'm on the computer and I'm emailing mom. Would you please just give me a heads up if you decide that's, to use this strategy? That's so funny. You're like, you're like up there with Santa Claus. <laughs> <laughs> the fear, the fear oh, of upsetting, nice. the fear of upsetting Janae. If you ever do need to discipline, if there is a physical altercation or name calling or something like that, um, how how do you approach that? Being the teacher and sort of like the line of you know disciplining as a teacher versus disciplining as a parent, it must be really hard to maneuver that. It it's difficult, but I have to say from my experience, there are times where. And again, I'm kind of leading back to the opposite of what I said earlier. Developmentally, sort of the arguments come up every year, right? Yeah. And say so they have these debates between each other, whether it's whether it's girls can't sit here or whether it's this is my work and I don't want you to come and disturb my work. Um, we do have these conflicts in the classroom. And I guess I can start off and talk a little bit about the physical um, conflicts in the classroom because I think parents worry a lot about that when it's mm-hmm. hitting, um, especially with the younger children. And I think the first thing for parents to kind of take a step back and take a deep breath and understand there's a very big difference between being malicious and just kind of having physical play and exploring and experiencing your body, right? For a young child, for a two or three-year-old, if there's something that's taken from them, their initial reaction is just to hit, mm-hmm. right? And, and especially if they're developing language, if they don't have the words, their initial reaction is just to hit. That's their physical response to what just happened because they're upset. But there wasn't an intention of being malicious, right, Mm -hmm. or an intent to hurt. And I think that's the fine line that I really want parents to think about when they're concerned, right, when you were uh, talking about Leo, about hitting, is his intention to bring physical harm to someone, right? Or is it just, oh, my hand is on your body. Oh, I'm upset by what you just did, so I'm going to respond to you in this way, Mm -hmm. if that makes sense. Um, And so in the classroom, standing up for himself in a not a good in choice a way, way that he's in trying to <laughs> exactly in his own way that he's learning right and yeah. that's why we're there as teachers and parents to support them and give them language um and for us i think our first go-to tool when someone is being physical is to give them the words and so you can we often it's interesting when i first started working i thought it was funny when my director said it's okay to say no that's mine or just say mine And I was like, wow, those words are powerful. They feel a little, you know, for me, I felt like, wow, are those words mean? Are those words unkind? And the way she described it to me was sometimes that's the only thing that they have is that one word. And it's okay to say mine. In that moment, that toy is yours, right? And so using the word mine, you're telling the other child, you have ownership right now. And you don't want them to say you know, come grab the truck from you. And then when they do, sometimes that's when they physically hit back. And that's when we step in and say, um, you, you have to use your words. Or then we also talk to the other child who's doing the grabbing as well. Because that's when the two layers come in, when you have the child who's doing the hitting, but then you also want to look a little bit to why they're hitting. Right. And so you want to make sure the other child understands that grabbing is not okay. Right? I mean, I think teaching them to be really good 
problem solvers is is ultimately with. And when I see the kids go at each other, I mean, first is like, you know, physically make sure that everybody's fine, that there's no blood drawn and right. these kinds of things. But, you know, then they'll start, to, well, he did this. Well, she did that. Well, da, da, da. And I said, don't tell me, tell, tell each them. other. Mm-hmm. And you guys have to work it out. Because, you know, I'm not going to be able to be around all the time. And of course, I'm here to love and support you. I'm not going to send you into the other room and have you guys kind of figure it out on your own. But I do want you guys to to talk to each other and say, how did this make me feel? And why did that upset me? And, you know, when you hit me, how did that make my body feel not safe? You know, all these different things. Right, exactly. And really, and that's what we do also at preschool is you really want children to think about each other and think about having that empathy for others, right? Being kind, socializing, um, using using words and ways to make others feel better. So, for example, when someone does hit or if there's an ouchie or a boo-boo, we don't encourage the children to use the word sorry because the word sorry kind of just gets thrown around. I, I like, remember sorry. one of Carmen's teachers sorry. was like, why should she have to say sorry? She's not sorry. <laughs> I was like, but you do have to teach them to be sorry, right? So we never got like beyond that, but we always like literally quote that when we're laughing. We're laughing, we're making like, you know, one of the kids say sorry, and then Alec and I are like, why? They're not it's sorry. Just a They're word. like, I am happy with the choice that I made. Exactly. <laughs> and it becomes this sort of word that's just fluid, right? And I remember one of, I was at um, a conference one year, and the speaker said, sorry, let's say if the word is cup. If you hit someone, something happens, you're like, oh, cup, cup. It, it doesn't well, because they get they think it gets them out. It gets of it. them out of it. So that's the it thing. becomes like, a word. Right now, Leo, Leo will go. Okay, sorry. Mm-hmm. Like he'll he'll hit me and then he'll say sorry. Sorry. And then they start going sorry, sorry, and yeah. start doing it like that. I'm like, oh. <laughs> and then you're on. thinking it's, it's on two year old. And it's, it's not on. that word. Sorry has become so watered down, so washed out. So tell me, this is what I've been doing. I don't know if it's good. I'm trying to come up with different things. I'm always trying to improve my craft. But um, what about? Um, so I ask. I have them ask. Are you okay? And how does your body feel? And I have them examine the place that they injured. That's exactly what we do. No, I think that's great. We do something very similar. We say, let's go check on that friend. Mm -hmm. Like, that's the first thing. Because usually it's like they're out of sight. Like, they're gone, right? Something (laughs) happens. One gets hit. They're darting into another room. So it's usually, come back. Come back, friend. Let's come back. Let's check on their body. Let's see how they're feeling. And I think that's the best way to do it. Because you want the children to think about how someone else is feeling right and that's and those are the tools and those are the skills again that we hone in so much during the years um, of their preschool years at school because I do personally again a lot of these thoughts are my own personal beliefs we can read books and we can learn how to read and we learn how to do math but being a nice person is something that we have to just it's, it's in us, right? Yeah. And these are the years that we want to refine those skills and those tools as young people. And then they can apply that in life as they get older. So when can sorry come in? Because there is there is that fear of me. Like, I want to make sure that my kids are empathetic. And, like, of course, I know that some of it is going along saying, you know, you know, how are you okay? Right. And sort of you know, regrouping afterwards and, you know, hashing it out and be like, okay, this is what happened. Never okay to put your hands on somebody, that kind of thing. But then when can you start teaching them to say sorry? Because there's the same thing as like, you know, it's part of our culture. We say thank you. We say please. You have to, you know, we say good morning and good night and all of these things. I think it absolutely speaks back to what you were saying in that I don't have a specific age, um, but I think around seven or eight children do understand what the word sorry means. And they understand what it's like to kind of 
feel sorry themselves, right? And that's the thing. I think it's it's an interesting sort of approach that we have, I think, in New York City and sort of our approach with development. Now, these days, we really want children to feel powerful. Um, and so I think there are times where parents, like I've had a conference this year where I had a parent say to me, you know, I really don't want to set limits with her because I don't want to put her light out. You know, and so there are those sort of ways of thinking that it's like, I don't want my child to feel this. I don't want my child to go up against this. I don't want my child to have these challenges. And it's the opposite, in mm-hmm. fact, is that you want them not to say that you want them to feel sad or sorry or hurt or these like big emotions in their life when they're really young. But it's not something that we need to shelter them from because we all live in this world. And this is a world that they will grow up and live in and having these sort of skills, coping skills, and not only to cope for themselves, but again, caring about someone else. Right. right? Stepping outside of that sort of egotistical stage of development that usually happens in the earlier years and really supporting them to think outside of that box. What about bad words? So right now, my kids are obsessed (laughs) with the word stupid. Okay, Rafa less. Leo is obsessed with the word stupid. If you ask Rafa what stupid means, Mm -hmm. he cannot tell you. Right. But they'll just be like, like, it's like almost, you know, they just start yelling. They're like, stupid, stupid, stupid. Or like you say, you have to, you know, drink your your smoothie tonight because I'll put like veggies in smoothie. You have to drink your smoothie tonight. Stupid, stupid, stupid. (laughs) And I'm like, and I say, I'm like, what does that mean? He says, it means you're not listening to me. And I'm like, okay, not what it means. Not going to tell you what it means either, right. by the way. <laughs> but he's so passionate. It's amazing how immature you can get yes. when you're like going on with a debates. Like, I can I'm t- not telling you. I can tell you, Larry, it's June and the debates that get, but I was at the snack table earlier today and I said, you know what? Janae, you're at the snack table. I'm going to need you to pull it together. <laughs> I'm going to need you to reel it back in and just, you know, take a deep breath. The toddlers rub off on you. Yes. So so what about these words? I can say, um, my first question was to say, do you think they know what it means? And it sounds like you You asked. They have no no idea. idea. And everything is poop, fart, penis, vagina, stupid. You took the words right out of my mouth, Like all these things, like everything is like, and they're like, huh, you're a fart face. You took the words out of my mouth. My husband, by the way, I found out. It was my husband, Alec, totally teacher. We all go in there at night because they have trouble. I put them to bed Mm because they fight about who's, uh, this is Rafa and Leo who share a room. They fight about whose bed I'm in and they don't make anyone else get in the bed with them except for me. And then they'll fight and they have like a a table in between them. So I'll literally like lay across the table and have like one hold my foot, (laughs) one hold my hand. And I'm like, this is ridiculous. You're doing a great job. But if Alec Alec goes in there after like my bathe and stuff like that and reads them some books, Mm -hmm. then they just go right to bed like little angels. But before that, if you listen, they're literally, all all three of them are like fart, poop, penis, (laughs) all of these different things. And I'm like, Alec, what? what? I work so hard all day long. And then you go in, not only are you riling them up, but you're also teaching them very, very bad things. I can tell you I have some very vivid memories of Rafa telling me about the uh, fart parties with dad and, you know, those kinds of things. And it's interesting. I was going to lead into, after you said the stupid thing, the bathroom words. And I can tell you, this is my 13th year teaching. I don't have a strategy for it. I, I just the poop and the pee and the penis. It just it comes. It it's born into the room and it spreads like wildfire. Yes. And so the only way that we can sort of manage it in the classroom is we say you're saying bathroom words. Do you have to use the bathroom? Oh, that's a good one. And so because at this point I've just been ignoring it. Right. Right. But then they'll like he'll be walking down the street because that's like, usually what we we're, we're, we're learning. I'm just like oh my god. <laughs> Just, you know, walking with my children who are just screaming these words out. 
Um, yeah, so in the classroom, we say, oh, well, you're using bathroom words, you know. Uh, do you have to use the bathroom? Or you can use those words in the bathroom. And so that's a little bit of the way that we were able to, to control it. I can't confirm nor deny that when they are on their own that those words aren't being said because I have friends running up to me, this friend said poop, this friend. Right. And I said, don't forget, if you have to use the bathroom, the bathroom's right. You can go use those oh, bathroom words okay. in the I'm bathroom. Gonna, I'm going to try that because my thing is once I make things an issue, like I made it about stupid, mm-hmm. um, then it they're just like, yes, it this gets is, under her exactly. skin. I got it. You want it. the reaction, right? <laughs> yes. It's the reaction, whether it's negative, whether it's positive, it's a reaction. But then I'll like be going for like a walk. You know, I try to spend individual time with all of my kids every single day. And I'll be like going for a walk with like Leo, who's like the, the major offender of the word stupid <laughs> right now. And, and he'll say to me, mommy, you know what? We don't say stupid. That's a bad word. That's a bad oh. word, mommy, and makes people sad. He wants you he to know. He literally will say this he to me. He wants you and to I'm know. Like, he understands. Mm-hmm. He, he gets, gets it. it. Cut to 15 minutes later, he's like back in like with everybody. Mm-hmm. And he's like, stupid, stupid, stupid. You I'm know? like, wait, wait, wait. <laughs> in those calm moments, he's he's checking in with you like, mom, I just want you to know we're both feeling good right now. It's a good vibe. I do know that those words aren't good. I'm going to teach you, mom. I just There's want a word. You to know. It's called stupid. And you should never say it, by the way. <laughs> you should know that I know. However, well, I'll catch I'm myself wrong. saying it now too sometimes. Like not obviously not at them, but I'm like <laughs> talking with one of my friends. I'm like, oh, that's so stupid. I can't believe like like something about politics yes, or, yes, or yes. Yes, something silly because it's it's actually in our adult vocabulary. Adult vocabulary. And and like Rafa the other day, I was like talking. I don't even know what I was talking about. I was like, oh my god, that's so stupid. And Rafa the other day was like, mommy, <gasps> you said stupid. Yes, yes. And I'm it, like, I'm like, I'm spitting. <laughs> it's, it's so interesting. I can say that when you know. Having been in the classroom for so many years, my vocabulary, I've altered it in a very major way, right? And so I'm at like a family reunion and my cousin's like, why are you talking like that? And I'm like, what, what do you mean? Why am I talking? And I'm like, oh, oh, I can't say dumb. Ooh, ooh. You yeah. know, and so because I'm in the classroom every day, even for me, I... I don't use those words. And and then when they do come out of my mouth, I'm all riled up or I'm in, I'm in a real exciting social setting, They it's, it stands out to me. And I'm like, whoa, I just said stupid. And then the other adults around me are like, it's okay. It's, a, it's okay. It's okay. Like, nobody batted an eye. It's You're like, oh my okay. God, oh my God. I'm dying. I want to kill myself. Okay, what about, and then I want to change to another thing, but what about going off of this? What about like the whole exhibition of their private parts? Like, like they think it's so funny. They'll like, mm-hmm. they'll like pull their pants down, and be like, "Oh, it's my butt," or like, "Oh, look, it's my penis," or "Oh, look, it's my vagina," or like, "Oh, here are my boobs." Yeah, like all these different things. Or, "Mommy, can I see your boobs?" Right. And you, and it's like this weird thing where I'm like, I want to make sure that I'm not, you know, like I want to normalize everything. Mm-hmm. It's your body. It's your everything. But you can't pull your pants down on the streets. I, you know, I think, and this again, this is my opinion. I think as long as the setting is appropriate. I think it's okay. I think in that moment, if you're at home and they want to take out their parts and talk about it, it's a lesson in that moment. Right. I think as long as it's appropriate, I think in terms I of like you would say, okay, at home it's one thing. Yes, like but I walking would... down the street, do you not pull your pants down and be right. like, "This is my penis." Right, I think it's Look, okay I have to a use penis. the word do you private have a penis? parts. Are 
you a boy or are you a girl? <laughs> right. I mean, they're really at that age where they're like discovering, they're discovering what's a boy and, and what's a girl. They're exploring and trying to figure it out. And like we learn best through exploring, right? Um, and I think as long as, like I said, as long as the setting is appropriate. And you, I think it's okay to say when you're walking down the street, you know, that's our privacy. We can talk about that in privacy. Mm-hmm. And then that's a whole lesson there on what privacy means, right? right? Outside, indoors, what that looks like, what are things you can do outside in front of everyone that you, or things you can do inside that you can't do outside in front of everyone. Um, but I think abs- it's absolutely all relative. At home, of course, you don't want to be at home just having hours and hours conversations about poop, uh, about penis and <laughs> vagina and things like that. But um, I think it's okay if you're the outside other thing to I just teach them say, is that no one can touch yours except for like you know your your mommy or your yep. you know your pediatrician. Yeah, and that. And that you can't touch anyone else's. Absolutely. Because there was like, you know, they all like, I'll bathe them in together. And they're like fascinated that they're different. And then like, there's like a poke. And I'm like, nope, nope, right. that's it. That's right, it. right. No it's, yeah, it's interesting. A lot of parents have different thoughts about that. Um, but I agree. Just personally, I think it's okay for you to keep your hands on your body. Mm-hmm. This is your body. This is your body. And then this having your ownership body. of that. Absolutely. And that one, because I also didn't want to be, you know, I, I don't ever want to make them self-conscious or embarrassed because I always want to have them be able to be open with me and and feel you know comfortable and comfortable natural in their body about their body exactly right. but at the same time I also want to especially in this age of consent and everything I also want to put that line of saying hey you know what this is somebody else's body and even if it's a baby body absolutely even if it's the tiny baby and we're changing his diaper and you're like fascinated yes. by like, Can I touch you the can't poop? just like Can go poking around on his this? body yeah exactly like he's he might be three months old but he's his own little person okay so I'm interested because I often hear, I fortunately have not been in this position yet, although I'm sure that it might happen at some point, of having an altercation of a parent and a teacher. Um, and But I know a, a lot of my girlfriends that go to different schools mm-hmm. and their kids that they'll ha- have issue with something that the teacher did. And, you know, whether I think the parent, I mean, I wasn't there, but whether I think mm-hmm. the parent is overreacting or being a little silly, or if I feel like they really have that a valid. point, a valid point. Right. Um, what are, obviously not getting into specifics, because all of this is, you know, very private between you you and parents, but what are ways that that can be dealt with? Um, as, if a parent has issue with something that's happening in your classroom mm-hmm. with another student, with you, any any kind of issue that they have to come forward with, how do you want that to be addressed and go? It's hard because some teachers do function in a way that their job is there to work with the children. And so the parents kind of get the back shaft of that and they're kind of pushed to administration. I personally feel like it's a family. When you're working with children, you have to work with their parents. It's kind of, it's kind of a dance mm-hmm. that's, that goes back and forth. Um, but when I, it, when I think someone has a, like if a parent has a concern or feels like there's a conflict of some sort, I think reaching out to the teacher and just saying, listen, I have some concerns. Um, these are my concerns, perhaps like in an email. And I know it's, it's interesting because sometimes we always go back and forth with how emails are tricky, right? When you're reading. Emails are tricky, but it's also nice to have everything written down. And to have it written down. Exactly. Yeah. Emails are tricky in tone. Um, but I think it's really important if you say, I have some concerns. These are some of my concerns and you list them out and then at that point the teacher can decide okay this is something that I think I can handle or perhaps I might need to reach out to administration and perhaps get some support because I think what happens is when you have a debate right or you have a conflict 
in most cases, both parties think that they're right. 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 And I think it's important to kind of bring in a third party to help manage that relationship between the teachers and the parents, especially if the specific conflict is between them two. Um, or like if the teacher, the parent doesn't like something that the teacher specifically is doing mm-hmm. or their approach. Um, I think it's important for administration to be there and, and be supportive for the parent and for the teacher as well. Mm-hmm. Um, if there's If a parent has a concern about another child in the classroom, that gets tricky. Yeah. That gets really hard. Um, Let's say hypothetical if a child pushes another child off the climber, Mm -hmm. right, and it's kind of a big uh, accident, Mm -hmm. right, and the parent is really concerned about what happened. And usually what would happen is the teacher in that moment calls both parents and really explains the the issue or whatever happened that day um, thoroughly to each parent. Um, And in most cases, the parent of the child who did the pushing will offer to reach out to the other parent. And I have found in my um, experience that that's the best way to do it. I've seen times where the parent hasn't reached out um, and the other parent is upset and they stay upset for a while. Um, But I've seen in most cases when the parent reaches out, like if their child did the biting or the hitting or the pushing and just reached out and say, hey, listen. And again, I don't. I think that parents, and it gets hard because some parents really take that responsibility on themselves and they feel bad as if they're the ones who actually bit the four-year-old, right? It's the worst feeling in the world (laughs) when your child hurts, even if it's just an accident, hurts another kid. Yes. But then also it's interesting that like playground mentality, if like all the parents are around and then the kids and then like, you know, somebody comes up, they run by and they like hit your kid over and like the parents, the other parents saw it, the kid just like continues to go over and you're like, you feel like you've been wrong. Right. You feel like you've been pushed You're like, we're both adults. We both saw what just happened. Can we like see that everybody is okay right now? You're like, I'm going to pretend that that didn't happen. There's an interesting whole etiquette. I do wish that, you know, through having my first child and Carmen was such like a little like namaste person. She was. That no matter what happened to her, she would just like, she Let would, n- nothing. Like pe- a kid go. would hit her or scratch her or pull friendly. her or something like that. And she would just look at them like. Carmen would come up with reasons. Maybe she was just trying to get past me. Yeah, like, exactly. Come she up would, with the but she would just kind of look at, and then for a while, for a while I think this, this is definitely before she was in your class. But then she started doing this thing, which we always laughed about because we don't understand what exactly she was doing. But like a kid would like, you know, hit her or steal a toy. And she'd be like, do you want my shirt? Do you want my shirt? She would feel really, really comfortable. Do you no. want my shirt? And then she would start grabbing. She's like, Do you want no, my shirt? <laughs> no, it's mine. You can't have my shirt. And then like, or you know, if something spilled over, and literally it's like one of like my friends is over and like, like spilled her water or something like, she's like, Do you want my hairpin? <laughs> Do you want? And it would I've ask never, me, I've never seen anything like that. I know. And, and it would start, whenever she'd offer something at that age, you know what's I coming. Would be like, I'd be like, just say no, yeah. just no, no. You don't want her shoe. You don't want her shoe. Because normally they'd be like, sure, I'll give you. They yes. think that she's like giving it. Be like, oh, thank you. Then I'm going to give you back like that kind of thing. Do you want my shoe? She won my earring. <laughs> it would be like her most random thing in the world. But it always like ended with, no, you can't have it. it's mine because that's that kind control. Of thing. That control. I'm taking power. 
Yeah. And she knows how bad it feels when something will yes. be taken away from her. So she's going to push. She's taking that whole power situation. back. Exactly. I want to <laughs> offer you this. I want to reel you in. And then and I'm going to say gonna no. And then I'm going to take it back so you know how I feel right now. <laughs> I actually really love that. It was that. really funny. It was just before she was two. And she was, she was extremely verbal. She started talking yes. at five months old. And she was yes. very verbal with these like words that you knew. And we're like, what is no, this but person that thinking? Is like, okay. Let's, oh, I'm going to fix like this. Something like kind of like mafioso about it. Yeah, it was just like, like, do you want my shirt? Yes, yes. Okay. Okay. I'm reeling you in for the kill. <laughs> it's, yeah. It's oh, it's oh, really man. funny. But I think it's, it's really important for parents to just kind of give the nod and say, hey, sorry. I know my friend, you know, he's, he's, he's going through some stuff right now. You know, he, you know, he just hit your son. I'm sorry. I think it's important just to just kind of give a little bit of, I saw what just happened. I think also understanding from the parent, like, like if something happens to one of my kids, I'm very understanding of it as well. Obviously, you know, there. I don't want to take away from the experience. Oh, you're fine. You're fine, right. kind of thing. Like, don't don't make a big deal about it. Like, if you feel hurt, you you should say well, that you're, you're hurt. I, that. I don't ever tell my kids that they're okay unless no. they're afraid, and I say everything is okay. Yes. But when they Great physically point. have something happen to them, I I don't like. And I, I hey, I used to. And then I realized that I'm telling my kid, okay, yes. they're okay. And maybe they're not okay. Maybe, right. You're and maybe, not sure. Or maybe, you know what, I know that they're going to be okay, but they don't know that right then. Right. And so I say, hey, how do you feel? Where does it hurt? What does it feel like to really connect them with their body? Because I think that's one of the first places of disconnect with our bodies is when adults are telling us how we're you're supposed fine. to feel. Yeah, you're fine. You're fine. Okay. Dust you're it off. Get right. it back up again. Exactly. No Go blood. Play. Yes. Go no play. blood. You're, you're fine. fine. Um, and, you know, with, so I try, when, like say, you know, when as somebody comes up and, you know, something happens between Rafa and and the um and their child I want to be very understanding of how painful that can be for the other parent right. um, but at the same time I want to honor Rafa and I'm and then I also don't want to parent the other kid it's, I had an ex- interesting that, yes. experience recently yes. where these kids were um with these swords that were made out of balloons I hate weapons mm-hmm. I'm like so anti toy weapon thing and I and I'm not sure if I'm right on it but I'm very anti weapon toy weapon um but they had these like long you Tubes, know those those like balloons that people make right, into right. different things um and they um and they they're like hitting my two boys and my two boys I'm like like really working so hard to make them peaceful right. wonderful little men and then there's these two other boys that are like provoking that in them. In them. And yep. then their grown-ups, I don't know if they're parents or not, were not doing anything. And these kids keep on coming. And it's not hurting them. They're hitting them with like balloons. But it's like the action mm-hmm. is I'm hitting you with a sword. Right. And my boys in the moment, because they're pretty peaceful, they're not going to do anything. But later on they mm-hmm. will. And then they'll do it to each other. And then they'll do it to each other it is what I was and then about it's make my, to say. And that was one of the only times where I said to the kids, you need to stop. Yes. Like we don't that's not nice. Don't do that. But mostly because they're grown ups. We're not, We're not doing saying anything. anything. But right. usually you'll just wait and you're like, okay, they'll say something. And then also to have your kid see that you're standing up for what's wrong. Absolutely. I think what we do sometimes, even if it's when we overlap in the yard, for example, if there's other classes that come out and, you know, they're exploring and experiencing new friends and what they can do and what those limits look like. And say if there is some hitting or, for example, we have these really big uh, foam blocks in our mm-hmm. yard and there are some that are really long noodles and they turn to swords and weapons and they're, they're fun to be swung around. Um, but I like to start by saying, do you like that? 
right? And so you ask a friend, like, for example, so when Rafa was getting hit with a balloon, the first question is to check in, do you like that? And at nine times out of ten, the answer will be no. And then at that point, that's when you can say, you know, he doesn't like that. And, and Or actually, I would say, well, Rafa, tell him you don't like that. Turn around, tell him you don't like that. Tell yeah. him to stop. And then in that moment, there are children who aren't comfortable doing that, right? They're already kind of not understanding what's happening, why they're getting hit in the first place. And so that's when we, I'll say, like, I'm going to use words for him. And Rafa doesn't like that, so please stop. And that's, and I think it was right for you to kind of step in and do that because if the grown-ups didn't take that initiative and do it themselves, then somebody has to step in and stand up for the child who's getting hit. Yeah. Right? Um, what about hitting milestones um, and, you know, different red flags that you might see as a child develops? And how do you approach that with the parent? Um, how do you help them with that? And what are different resources that, that parents... That, that are available? Mm-hmm. Um, it's We have a wide range of children with different developmental levels at the school that I work at. Um, and so... It's really interesting. We st- I worked with the toddler group, which were 18-month-old children for many years. And our approach in the beginning of the school year is to watch and to see and to allow children time to develop as well. Because I think it's a fine line between – I'm, I'm very much an advocate for early intervention – Um, But there is a fine line between too early intervention, right? And I think sometimes parents get a little bit overzealous, like, oh, such and such is talking at six months. Like, for example, like if Carmen had friends that were anxious about the fact that she was talking and they Mm -hmm. weren't talking, um, there's a lot of different developmental levels with children. And so, like, we start off the path. And and parents compare, compare, get worried, get very... um, Google and... Yes, yeah. get competitive. You know, yes. I'll see moms get competitive. Well, my kid's doing this. Well, my kid's doing this. Well, my right. kid's doing this. And I see that. And now, I mean, obviously, I'm on the other side mm-hmm. of a lot of those beginning milestones, even with Romeo. I mean, now he's one. But, um, but like, I want to say, they're all going to walk and they're all going right. to use the toilet. And, and they're even all, like, if, all right. it's going to happen. And even if it, it happens a little bit later, and I think the one thing that I do want to advocate for is that even if, even if they need a little support doing so, that's okay. Yeah. That's absolutely fine. Um, and so what we do at our school, basically, or, or my approach, is to watch for the very early months and sort of see what their skills are. And I think that's where sometimes parents, for example, um, say if a parent notices that ch- their child isn't developing language as fast as they should be, but they don't realize how wonderful their fine motor skills are. They don't notice how well they're writing, perhaps, mm-hmm. or how well they're building or using Legos. And right, and so there are so many different developmental milestones that the little body has within these early years. I would say, I mean, as we know, the rapid development between zero and five, it's it's nothing like when we're older now. It's like my body hasn't changed probably in the last 10 years, um, which is very different than young children. Right. Um, and I think parents focus a lot on what they're not doing versus what they are doing. They kind of get hooked up into that. Um, and so I would recommend just really reaching reaching out to their resources. So, for example, the school that your child goes to, if they have a website, reach out to the director. I know my school, we have a website, and it's a full page of parent resources. And it's very specific to potty training, talking, uh, sibling dynamic, um, hitting. And so we have these articles, and we also have a child development specialist that's always available for parents. Um, 
outside of the classroom teacher if they feel like they need a little bit more support. Um, when I do see that a child does need a little bit more support in one area, um, first I talk to my director and then our child development specialist comes down um, and she observes and then we meet as a team and then we sort of set some strategies in place to see if there's things we can do in the room, right? Because even, this is my 13th year teaching, I'm still learning. I'm still a student every day because again, my the new children that I get every day, I'm, I'm not a specialist on human beings, right? Because human beings are different. Everyone is different. There's a human being born every second. How am I supposed to specialize in those individuals, right? right? And so we're always learning. We're always growing together. Um, and that's why I think having a supportive team, a supportive administration is really um, important. And so we all sit around and see what are things that we can do in the classroom perhaps to support this concern that we have. And then we sort of imp implement that into the room, we strategize. And then if we see that it's not, there hasn't been any development, then we um, reach out to the parent and say, you know, I've noticed, these are some of the things that I've noticed. Do you notice them at home? Um, and in most cases, because the children are so young at my school, um, parents are usually surprised. Um, it, it's interesting, we have a lot of parents who kind of are, are really aggressive with, with wanting to know things and early on and, and when's this going to happen and when's this going to happen, when's that's going to happen. And then you have parents where I remember years ago I had a parent-teacher conference and a parent said to me, oh, because I voiced some concerns about speech, and I'll never forget the parent said, but we don't talk to him. <laughs> and I <laughs> said, huh? Can you and she said, no, we don't, you know, he's the baby. We don't really talk to him. And I just, I just shook my head and I said, okay, well, let's start here. Let's begin <laughs> he, speaking. Let, let's well, begin talking to him. And all him. of a sudden, three months later, and he was speaking. all of a sudden, three months later, the language That's is there, so right? Funny. And so it's, it's really a lot of pieces to the puzzle. Um, I think before you, because I don't think a teacher, Obviously, we all have our own trainings that we've gone to, but no one knows for sure, right? right? And I think it takes a lot of brains to be put together to really sort of figure out how we can attack this. No, and I think it's I think it's interesting, you know, having my, you know, for example, Rafa, I think you said to me, you, you were asking me if he speaks up at home because he gets kind of shy and mm -hmm. nervous in the classroom, right? Yeah. And at home, he is not shy. He is not nervous. Right. He speaks up. He's completely different. But it was it's interesting to have those conversations, as interesting as it is to think, okay, you know, he'll hit his brother, but he won't hit anyone in class. Right. Right. It's also interesting to say, okay, he's super, you know, verbal and loud and talking about this, that, and the next thing. But in, but class, in class, he gets a little bit shy. And right. I think he's he's always just been a little bit I shy. I think so, too. Um, and he's less and less now. Like, we'll walk down the street or we'll go, into, uh, you know, and he'll be like, what's that? What's your name? What do you like? Mm -hmm. he'll, he'll ask people Open things or, you know, he'll make friends in the park really, really well. I think it's great that, again, you brought up that example because in the classroom, the, the children are one way, right? And then at home, they're one way. And it's important for teachers and parents to always have that open line of communication, right? Because I could have had my report and writing out, oh, Raf was a really shy boy and he has a hard time doing this. Or for example, if we didn't have that open line of communication, and I think that's what's mostly important um, between teachers and parents. How do you support a, a kid who is very shy? Um, it See, shyness is an interesting thing. There's no, I, I don't find for myself in particular that there's one definition of shyness. Mm -hmm. um, because I have 
seen children in the past where they are very comfortable in one setting. For example, if there's a lot of people, but it depends. Like if they're home, right, for example, and there's a lot of people there and they're just outgoing, putting on a show. And then, say, in the classroom, for example, during meeting, a child is very closed off and quiet and not really willing, willing to share. And so in that aspect, you're like, are they shy or is this, are they uncomfortable right now with mm-hmm. what's happening? Right. Is it the question of the day, perhaps? So, for example, I have a child who, when I'm asking, oh, what'd you do this weekend? Right. It's a very open ended question. Mm-hmm. And for some children, that's a little bit difficult to think, hmm, what did I? OK, first of all, what does this weekend mean? Right. It's also the same question of when they get home from school. What do you do? What'd you do today? And they say nothing. Nothing. Right. And so as a teacher, I had to think about that. And OK, I'm not going to say what did you do this weekend? Yesterday, when you left school, where did you go? Mm-hmm. Right. A, a concrete, direct question for them. And so that just kind of just leads me back to when I find a child that's. I'm putting up quotes, shy, I like to think a little bit about the environment. Like, what is it about the environment right now that's making this child perhaps feel a little bit uncomfortable? Or just, it could just be the child is quiet, Mm -hmm. right? And I think that's important to remember, too, that sometimes children are just not that in-your-face kind of kids. Sometimes children just like to observe. They like to sit back and they like to watch the children on the climber and they're going crazy and they're flipping. And the child that's sitting there smiling, watching, is having just as much fun as those children, right? And I think it's important for us to kind of remember that. Shyness is definitely a thing, um, but it's not a... I think some parents think it's more of a bad thing well, than a good worry. thing. I think we worry. You know, I mean, I'm I'm not afraid at this point. But, you know, there's that fear of like, okay, is my son not going to be able to raise his hand and speak in class mm-hmm. as he gets older? You right. Know? And you know, just as you're, you know, we're worried, uh, is my kid ever going to potty train? We're worried right. about this, that same thing. I mean, the, the, the problems just shift. The worrying stays there. The problems yes, just shift. Absolutely. And, you know, what I found with, you know, work working with him and having him sort of find his voice, which now is very loud, mm-hmm. um, is, you know, and I'll say, um, when, when I'm asking, we're talking about something, I'll be like, oh, you know, when he was younger, what color is this? And then it's kind of looking or I don't know. Mm-hmm. And then I'll be like, silly, like it's it's red. And I'm like, is it blue? Right, right. It's blue, right? And then he'll kind and of like smirk smile. a little bit. I'm uh-huh. like, is it, you know, orange? Yeah. And like, oh my God, she doesn't even know. And they're like, mm-hmm. oh no, it's red. It's right, red. And then right. They'll, kind of, they'll kind of do that. But, you know, it's not all, unfortunately, not all learning environments are good for each kid. And a lot of times, I think, especially, you know, in this country, well, actually, in other countries as well, everywhere, mm-hmm. um, a lot of times they, if it doesn't work for their kind of education, your kid has a problem. Right. And that's very upsetting. And that and that's what's upsetting. And, and that's why I love and honor sort of our approach because it's about the children. Mm-hmm. And I think, as you mentioned, a lot of school and a lot of institutions, as we would say, um, if the children don't fall in those lanes, all of a sudden it's something wrong with the child. Right. And I've, I've had that, I've, had that experience in my own family and just from my years of teaching I've seen it and I have friends that are principals in other schools and it's it's a sad thing but it's real it's real and it's it's sort of it's something that we think about every day um, even beyond our school doors and how we can sort of support other schools that's some of the work that we do Um, 
but it is it's kind of I think it's something that we have to think about as a whole and as in the approach of schooling in general and what that looks like even with the older grades and the upper levels when I was in grad school and I did my student teaching I was not happy um, in some of the schools I was not happy with yeah, some of the like expectations show, that I saw. And if that show does not work for you and you can't relate to me, yes. then you have issues. Then you have an issue. No, it's it's and you're ostracized, and you, you and you are labeled. And you know what? Exactly, you're labeled. Yep. And then, especially, you know, if parents don't have resources to change the school, yep. which you know, or or they or they take, don't. you know, they say, well, that this is the professional; they must know what they're talking about. Right. Um. I mean, I would I would say to parents like never. Just always fight for your kids and always get a second opinion and always, you know, I'm a teacher myself. I'm a yoga teacher and I have 70 people in a classroom and all those 70 people might learn differently. And it's my job to bring them all through the same sequence, but I have to do it in different ways. And immediately I'll see, you know, the handful of people who probably have some sort of some form of dyslexia or disconnection with their body where every single time I'm going to say right, they're going to do left. You well know, then said. I'll have other people who need a visual and I'll know certain times because of teaching, you know, hundreds, like, a, I don't even know how many people I've done. Like, it's a lot, a lot, a right. lot of people because I used to teach, you know, every single day out of the year and I would teach, you know, often 10 classes a day wow. um, times 70 people. It's a lot of people um, that I'll know like certain times when people need to have a visual. And so some are visual, exactly. some need to hear it, some need to hear it again and again and again. Some people need a lot of, you're doing so great. Yes. Some people need to know how they can do it better. You know, like uh, p- different things speak to different kinds of learning. Absolutely. So well said, Hilary. I think that speaks to um, what we were talking a little bit about earlier. We may have got sidetracked about modification. Mm-hmm. That's what I wanted to talk about, the modification that happens in the classroom when there is a child who does need support or or something that's not working. How can we change this? How can we change what's happening right now? Our goal is to not change the child. Our goal is to change this environment, this approach to support that child. So, it's, it's, so it speaks to the child. Because eventually, eventually, you know, I mean, it's like, for me, it's like built, like working a muscle. After you, after you have a baby, you have no sense of your abdominals anymore. It's like this weird, this weird vacancy. And little by little, your body, you know, it starts to come together, come together. And then if you're working on healing your abdominal wall, Mm -hmm. little by little, you start to feel more of the muscles, muscles, muscles until it comes in and all kind of makes sense. But at the beginning, it's kind of out there and you have to exactly. And once you can teach the kid all the different pieces, they will eventually have the tools to bring it together for themselves. What are things that that parents can do at home to further to, to support you? Um, you know, I, I, um, I know that you guys are not super focused with your age group on, on reading and stuff like that, but what are supplemental things that you feel like are very important for parents to do at home that would make your life easier? What I like to tell parents that what we do, our sort of play-based approach with the children is something that they can do at home, mm-hmm. right? It's all about the materials. You can grab some toilet paper rolls, some bowls and some boxes and build forts. It's playing is language-based, And I think that's one of the factors that parents don't realize. When you're playing, you're talking, they're watching your mouth, you're coming up with ideas. When you're talking about a pirate ship, you're talking about the bowel of the ship, and all of these parts and the vocabulary words just come out. And so that's why play is so important. Um, So, again, just I I encourage parents to get on the rug with their kids and just build forts. And let the kids be their guide, too. That's what I've learned from you guys, too. Like, we would do these walks 
with you guys mm-hmm. where self-led the kids, child exactly walks. the kids get to decide where to go and and you guys said how many times are you you know going out and spending time with your kids but like okay we're gonna go to the grocery store and we're gonna go over here and we're gonna walk this way to the park and we're gonna do this way and, and they're coming with you they're and they're just, coming they're with you and they're you. like you know they're not able to make choices so like if I really have nothing that we have to do no errands no anything because obviously the, the house key needs to keep on you know, running. going forward, exactly, right. running and going forward. Um, I will do that with them. I'm like, okay, which way do you want to go? Child and what do you want to do? Do you want to do this or this or this? And they feel this tremendous sense of power and exploration. Absolutely. You can imagine what will come out of walking down a New York City street with a child and they're directing you. And if you think about their perspective, mm-hmm. right? And I think as adults, we forget their bodies and that perspective of the city. They're down there. They're still smelling the flowers. They're still looking at the little cracks Leo's in the ground. Literally smelling all the flowers and then he'll put his face next to where all the dogs pee and I'm like oh no that's not yeah that's not kind of what we wanted it's so cute he's smelling the flowers but at the same time I feel like you're also smelling the urine yes just the other day I took a friend out for a walk and there was a little butterfly on the ground and they were all really smitten with the butterfly and they were excited and one of the little friends she just got down on her belly like hands under her chin and I was like I need you to get up. I, and, I, no. I, I yes, and we're and gonna cut. appreciate it from up here. Yes, exactly. From a cleaner place. All right, I do want to ask you what your so we do this thing called favorite things. Any of the Vivian Paley books are all great um, for parents to read. She has lots of information on, like I said, just sort of our uh, website, different specific developmental milestones like potty training tantrums, sibling dynamic, anything like that. But one of my favorite books, I have to say, is the book by Dr. Seuss, All the Places You Will Go, which I'm sure, I don't know if a lot of people know that story. I just love it because it just, the possibilities are endless, and I like to encourage children, there are, the possibilities are endless in your life and the places you can go. I love that. That's a, that's a good one. Thank you so much. Mom All right, guys, that was Janae. I loved her discussions about communications between parents and teacher and how how important that is. You know, I mean, I think so many times we put teachers up on a pedestal, which, you know, we should in terms of have admiration for them, but we shouldn't feel that there's a barrier. We should always feel like we have the ability to talk to them. I mean, this, this is the education of our children. This is where our children is are spending, you know, a good chunk of their day with these people and to be connected to their experience is extremely important. All right, guys, now it's time for our favorite things. Now it's time for our favorite things. Yes! So my favorite thing this week is actually going to be a blank book. Um, and, you know, the, the school that Janae teaches at, they supply you with these, with these books. Um, but it's this little, you know, this little book that has blank pages in it. And what we do before the beginning of the year is we put family photos in it and we'll write different things. My favorite food is this. My favorite, um, you know, the the best place I went this summer was this. And we put different pictures in it, stickers, favorite characters, all this thing. And we create this really beautiful little book um, that the kids take with them 
to school. And if this isn't something that your preschool does, then you can just put it in your kid's backpack. And anytime they miss you, they can open up the book and you've created this really cute little scrapbook. But I really do think that, that you know, it's something that has helped my kids emotionally as they go off into the world and, you know, need to have a visual that mommy and daddy are still there. So much to talk about in the early childhood development space. But I think one thing that my husband and I have found to be super critical for all of our kids being their best selves, happy, well-adjusted, able to deal with change, able to take on new challenges without tons of frustration has been sleep. For our family, it has been a total godsend for our the fact that our kids, for the most part, all sleep pretty well. And for that reason, I love pajamas. <laughs> so I, I, people always ask about what pajamas my kids wear because they're, they are super comfortable and the kids love them. And one of my favorite brands is a company called Kiki Pants. Um, it's K-I-C-K-E-E pants. They're just, they're the softest, like stretchy cotton and, um, and really breathable. And the kids absolutely love them. We have them in so many different, um, so many different colors and palettes and things. If you're in the market for cozy, comfortable pajamas that are easy to wash and the kids will love, um, I definitely recommend checking out this company. All right, guys, thanks for listening. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, review, Tell your friends, make our community bigger and bigger. You know, I mean, we're all figuring this out together. Please email us, mombrainpod at gmail.com. And then tune in next Wednesday. Bye. This is Mom Brain with Ilaria Baldwin and Daphne Oz. Mom Brain is a Gallery Media Group original production.